Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about the chimera. Today's episode combines elements from a number of legends and stories about this three-headed, fire-breathing monster for dramatic effect. When Bellerophon first laid his eyes on the coast of Lycia, he did not like what he saw. The exiled Prince of Corinth had come to his kingdom across the sea on an errand. His friend and host, King Proteus of Argos, had asked him to deliver a sealed letter to King Iobates of Lycia. The first clue that something was wrong came from the crew. Even as they sailed the friendly waters of the Aegean, Bellerophon noticed their faces were drawn with worry and fear. At night, they would burn offerings to their favorite gods, asking to be protected from the dangers that awaited them in Lycia. Standing on the deck, watching the ship float nearer and nearer to the coast, Bellerophon finally understood why. The country of Lycia looked like an enormous hearth. Small fires smoldered amongst the forests. The beach was red with burning coals, and above the whole God's forsaken coast swirled a massive black cloud of smoke and ash. When they docked at a small port on the shore, no one came out to greet them. It looked like anyone living in the port town had gone long ago. The departing Lycians had left a message for anyone stupid enough to land at their village. On a wooden sign at the end of the dock, someone had scrawled a message in the local language. One of the sailors translated for Bellerophon, Beware the Chimera. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every week we dive into history's most legendary monsters. In telling the stories of their origins, we hope to shed light on some truths hidden behind the creations of these beasts. 
where they come from, what they symbolize, and how they expose some of humanity's greatest fears. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythical Monsters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Today, we're discussing the Chimera, a three-headed, fire-breathing monster that terrorized the kingdom of Lycia in modern-day Turkey and is one of the most fearsome legendary beasts in the Greek pantheon. The Chimera was a hybrid monster made of other animals, It had the head and body of a lion, as well as a goat's head protruding from its back, and a long tail that ended in the head of a serpent. All of the Chimera's three heads were able to breathe fire, making it a terrifying and destructive foe. As grotesque as its heads were, it was the Chimera's fiery breath that made it nearly undefeatable. The story of the hero Bellerophon's battle with the Chimera highlights a very real Bronze Age fear, the destruction wrought by fire. The creation of bronze out of copper and tin was a giant step forward for humanity. Bronze tools were sturdier, and societies that mastered the art of smelting this alloy often made other advances in agriculture, written language, and more. Humans had mastered fire in the Neolithic period to cook and now used it to forge the tools for a better society. But a prehistoric fear of fire remained, and with good reason. With the widespread use of fire came the threat of accidental fire outbreaks. Greek homes, often made with wooden floors and supports, could easily go up in flames an errant spark could quickly cause a large fire and kill those inside. But the Chimera's flame wasn't just dangerous, it was nearly impossible to extinguish. Long after the creature had gone on to the next village, its fire remained, consuming everything in its path. So too has the myth of the Chimera remained, smoldering, passed down through generations. Bellerophon was cursed from the day he was born. The son of the king of Corinth, he was fated to be the next ruler of the kingdom. But he had a darker legacy to fulfill. Bellerophon was the descendant of Sisyphus, the clever king who had used trickery and deceit to try to best the gods. As punishment, Zeus banished Sisyphus's soul to the depths of Tartarus, and sentenced him to push a great boulder up a hill. Every morning, Sisyphus would begin pushing the boulder up a steep slope, his muscles straining with the effort. Every evening, just as he was about to reach the summit, the boulder would escape his grasp and roll down to the bottom of the hill, and so on and so forth for all of eternity. 
It was the blighted blood of Sisyphus that ran through Bellerophon's veins, sentencing him to a cursed life. Perhaps it was this dark inheritance that caused Bellerophon to accidentally kill his brother, Deliades, while at combat practice. As punishment, Bellerophon was sent into exile in the land of King Proteus. Bound to Proteus in service, Bellerophon accepted his mission to travel forth to Lycia to deliver a sealed letter to King Iobates. It was on this quest that he first heard of the Chimera. Like Bellerophon, the Chimera was born of a cursed line. In her earliest days, all the Chimera knew was darkness. From the day she first sprang into the world, all she could see was the oppressive blackness of the cave she called home. Before long, she learned to see with her other senses. She could feel the rough walls of the cave with her paws. She felt the water dripping from the stalactites onto her three heads. Even without sight, she soon knew her mother, Echidna. Half human and half snake, Echidna's scales would rasp along the stone floor as she slithered back and forth along the length of the cave. The Chimera soon got to know her other horrible siblings by the way they sounded. The Hydra slithered like their mother, but its many heads were forever at war with each other, hissing and biting. The three-headed dog, Cerberus, was constantly sniffing the air, trying to use its noses to find a way out of the cave. Once, Echidna told her children how they came to be trapped. The gods had been jealous of Echidna and their father, the mighty Typhon. When the Titans were defeated, Typhon, a godlike being with 100 dragon heads, tried to take his rightful place as leader of the immortals. Zeus, the great ruler, hurled Typhon from the top of Mount Olympus. Zeus called forth his lightning bolts and struck the mountain where Typhon landed, causing a cataclysmic eruption of lava and ash. When the dust settled, Typhon was buried deep under Mount Etna, trapped for all eternity. The lava flows sealed his mate, Echidna, and their young brood inside their cave, cursing them to an eternity of darkness. The Chimera didn't know how long she spent in the cave, cursed by her mother's evil nature and her father's ambition. It could have been months or years, but she didn't know the passage of time, only the dark. She never had the brains of the Sphinx or the healing powers of the Hydra. She did not have the ferocity of the Nemean lion, but what she did have was Typhon's gift, fire. When the Chimera discovered her fiery breath, it was like her life had finally begun. For the first time, the Chimera was able to see. The flame that came from her mouths hurt her eyes, it was so bright. Her siblings cried out in fear. Chimera breathed fire again, 
and saw her siblings for the first time. She saw Cerberus's glossy black fur and the Sphinx's long, tawny tail. She saw her mother, giant and horrible, blinking in surprise. But most importantly, she saw a way out. On the roof of the cave, a narrow crack seemed to lead to the outside world. With a great roar from her lion head, the chimera leapt toward the roof of the cave with fire in her mouths. She blasted the crevice and the rock splintered like wood. Great chunks of stone fell to the floor and the chimera's siblings howled and hissed as they rushed to avoid the debris. The chimera scrambled through the newly opened hole in the roof of the cave, using her long lion's claws to drag herself through the tight squeeze. For the first time, the chimera was outside. She lay on the ground, breathing heavily, feeling a new sensation against her skin, soft, long grass. She looked up and saw tiny pinpricks of light coming into focus as her eyes adjusted. There were stars in the heavens above her. At long last, the chimera was free. Coming up, the chimera tastes freedom for the first time, much to the Lycian's horror. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, back to the story. In Greek mythology, the chimera was inextricably linked with fire and volcanic activity. The creature was the child of Echidna, a half-woman, half-snake, and Typhon, a giant with 100 dragon's heads. When the gods cast the titans into the underworld, Typhon challenged Zeus for control of Olympus. Zeus cast a thunderbolt at Typhon, throwing him down to Earth. Typhon was buried underneath Mount Etna, an active volcano in Sicily. Etna's volcanic eruptions were blamed on Typhon, trapped beneath it. Much like her father, the Chimera was also blamed for fires and volcanic activity. Pliny the Elder, a famous Roman philosopher who lived from year 23 to 79 CE, mentioned the beast's connection to fire in his seminal surviving work, Historia Naturalis. The book, an early encyclopedia of natural history, mentions a Mount Chimera. According to Pliny, the mountain burned with a flame that does not die by day or night. Later scholars postulated that the chimera was a legendary beast, meant to explain the volcanic activity that affected this mountain. 
While the philosophers of antiquity never quite agree on where exactly Mount Chimera was supposed to be, many wrote that the mountain was probably somewhere in modern-day Turkey, where historians pinpoint the mythic kingdom of Lycia, and where the Chimera had just broken free. Freedom suited the Chimera. For days she ran, passing grasslands, deserts, and mountains. She relished the warmth of the sun on her back and delighted in the smell of the rain and the earth. She especially loved the effect she had on the other creatures she met. Terrified cattle ran from her and birds took flight when they saw her coming. The strange humans in their homemade pelts fled inside their squat houses, dousing their cooking fires and hoping she would pass them by. The fear that rolled off of them smelled delicious. With her mother no longer by her side, the Chimera had to learn how to fend for herself. In her first few days, she relied on the mice and birds that her snakehead caught and swallowed whole. But soon she realized her gift of fire could help her. The cattle and sheep that the humans liked to keep in outdoor pens were easy to catch. The Chimera found that if she blasted a fleeing cow with fire from her three heads, she could roast it to perfection. If one of the humans tried to defend their flock, she would set them ablaze too. Before long, she developed a singular taste for roasted human. As she traveled, she left a trail of charred bones and smoldering farms in her wake. Finally, she reached a tall mountain in the kingdom of Lycia. Crevices in the rock revealed eternal fires burning below the earth, glowing faintly during the day and burning brightly at night. Everything was aflame, just how she liked it. This would be her new home. While the Chimera was beginning her reign of terror in Lycia, the hero Bellerophon was enjoying his time as a guest of King Iobates. For nine days and nine nights, Bellerophon had been a favored guest in the Lycian palace. The king's escort had found him and his crew in the scorched port town and brought them to King Iobates' magnificent stronghold. Since then, the king had hosted nine feasts in his hall, each night asking for another story of Bellerophon's great feats. Over the many toasts and stories, Iobates had come to think of Bellerophon as a friend. He liked the youth, even though Bellerophon had a penchant for prideful boasting. So Iobates was devastated when he finally opened the sealed letter Bellerophon had come to deliver. Iobates' son-in-law, King Proteus, had written a disturbing message. According to the letter, while Bellerophon was a guest in Proteus's home, he had pursued an affair with Antea, Proteus's wife and Iobates' daughter. Proteus's letter was a plea for Iobates to execute Bellerophon for his crime. Iobates was torn. 
If the contents of the letter were true, the hero he had been hosting was actually the most despicable of villains. But he had hosted him as a guest and a friend, which made the matter of execution complicated. To harm a guest under his own roof was a gross violation of the Greek rules of hospitality. If he killed Bellerophon after hosting him, he risked severe punishment by the Furies, the protectors of oaths. When they finally caught him, he'd be sentenced to eternal torment in the underworld. Nothing was worth that, not even defending his daughter's honor. Iobates could not kill Bellerophon, at least not outright. He would need to think of another way to punish the scoundrel. As he stared into the banquet hall's fire, it came to him. The chimera had been wreaking havoc upon his land for months. Hundreds of his citizens had died. Acres of crops were simply gone, and fertile farmland turned to fire. Iobates had been trying to stop the thing for years. Every battalion they sent to storm her mountain was incinerated before they could even get near the beast. Days before Bellerophon had arrived, a young hero named Patroclus had attempted to defeat the Chimera. Though Patroclus had outfitted himself in heavy linen and leather to protect his skin from the heat, it was no use. He barely got within sword-fighting range of the creature before she attacked. The Chimera blasted Patroclus with fire from all three of her heads, reducing the brave youth to ash. Watching from a distance, Iobates' men had only one detail to report back. The whole ordeal was over in less than a minute. Iobates had been devastated to lose his finest warrior, but now another fine warrior had landed in his lap. In the past nine nights, Bellerophon had often boasted of his skill in combat. Iobates realized if he asked him to defeat the Chimera, Bellerophon would happily rise to the challenge, eager to prove himself. He'd set off full of pride, eager to save the kingdom. Then the Chimera would burn Bellerophon to a crisp. Iobates could fulfill Proteus's request without lifting a finger to harm the man himself. This was a perfect solution. When Bellerophon heard King Iobates' proposal, he felt a wave of fear wash over him. He had fought and slain many enemies, but the destruction he had seen when he first docked in Lycia haunted him. Despite his fears, Bellerophon accepted the quest. He knew it would hurt his pride if Iobates thought he was a coward. He would fight the Chimera and win somehow. Bellerophon decided he needed some advice. He went to see a soothsayer named Polyidus, who lived in a small hovel in the forest outside of the castle. 
Before Bellerophon could knock on the door to Polyidus' small house, the door swung inward. The wise man greeted Bellerophon by name and ushered him inside. Polyidus said, I knew you were coming. You want help defeating the Chimera. Bellerophon nodded, dumbstruck. The old man truly had the power of foresight. Bellerophon had accepted the quest not more than an hour before. Humming tunelessly to himself, Polyidus began searching for something, rummaging through the objects on the many long shelves that lined the hut's single room. Mm. Nodding, the old man withdrew a small, worn deerskin pouch from far back on the tallest shelf. He pushed the simple bronze dishes laid out on a small table to one side, clearing a space. He overturned the pouch, letting its contents clatter to the table. Ten small, white pieces of bone came to rest on the tabletop. Some of them had dots or markings carved into them. Polyidus said, these are sheep's knuckle bones. If you scatter them across the table, they'll tell you your future. He scooped the bones up in his hands and offered them to Bellerophon. Bellerophon took the knuckle bones and held them in his fists. He closed his eyes and concentrated, picturing the destruction he had seen at the dock. He threw the bones on the table. Polyidus examined the bones for a long time, his brow furrowed with thought. Finally, he straightened and turned to Bellerophon. Polyidus said, the only way to defeat the Chimera is to stay out of range of its fiery breath. You need to be able to fly. You must tame the winged horse, Pegasus, and he will help you in your quest. Bellerophon replied, then it's impossible. Pegasus will bow to no human rider. How could I possibly tame him? <laughs> Polyidus laughed and shook his head. He said, I do not know, but I do know that Pegasus often drinks from the fountain at the temple of Athena, the goddess of wisdom in battle. You must go to the temple and pray for her guidance. If you ask with a pure heart, she will help you. Bellerophon thanked Polyidus and left his shack. Outside, the night sky was tinged red with the chimera's fire. It seemed impossible, but if the soothsayer said that Pegasus would help him in his quest, then maybe he could defeat the monster burning Lycia. Bellerophon walked off into the darkness in the direction of Athena's temple. If Athena did not judge his heart to be true, and if Pegasus did not accept him as a rider, Bellerophon would have to face the Chimera on foot and completely alone. Next, Bellerophon and the Chimera meet on the battlefield. 
Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Now back to the story. In his seminal work, Historia Naturalis, Pliny the Elder describes a place called Mount Chimera. This area reportedly burned with a flame that never extinguished and lit up the mountain at night. In modern-day Turkey, just near the ancient Lycian ruins of the city of Olympus, there is a strange geographical phenomenon. The Yanartash, meaning flaming stone, is an area filled with dozens of small, ever-burning fires. The flames are fed by underground methane vents, and some of the fires have burned for over 2,500 years. It's likely that the fires of Pliny's Mount Chimera were actually the gas vent fires at Yanartash. According to local history, the fires burned so bright that ancient sailors used them to navigate the waters near Lycia. It's possible that word of the fires got back to the ancient Greeks who included the phenomenon in their tales of the mythical Chimera. Though according to some lore, the Yanartash fires were set alight when Bellerophon and the monster had their great battle thousands of years ago. By the time Bellerophon reached the temple of Athena, he felt ready to collapse. It had been dark for many hours, and he had come a long way from the comforts of King Iobates' stronghold. The temple was designed around a central courtyard where a beautiful, intricately carved marble horse spouted water into a stone basin. He passed by it, heading to the temple's central room. Within stood a large statue of a fierce-looking woman in full battle regalia. A small brazier held a pile of glowing coals, which cast strange shadows on the statue, making its face appear to shift and change in the light. Bellerophon kneeled in front of the statue of Athena to pray, but it wasn't long until he slumped to the floor, dead asleep. He dreamed of the goddess. She appeared before him, clad in golden armor. While she took the form of a young woman, Athena's steely eyes glittered with an ageless intelligence. An owl perched on her shoulder, its curved, sharp talons glittering wickedly in the brazier's glow. Athena spoke. Rise, Bellerophon. You have need of my help, or else you would not have come to my temple. Ask now. If it is within my powers, I will aid you. Bellerophon told the goddess of the impossible task that Iobates had set out for him. He told her of his visit to Polyidus and the soothsayer's advice to tame the winged horse, Pegasus. He told her how he had walked many miles to seek her guidance. Athena's eyes focused intently. 
When Bellerophon finished, she was quiet. The owl turned its head and whispered something into her ear. She nodded and spoke. I have listened to your story and judged that your heart is pure. When you wake, the answer will be in your grasp. The owl gave a loud hoot and flew from Athena's shoulder. It extended its razor-sharp talons and swooped toward Bellerophon's head. The hero ducked quickly and the owl flew past, catching some of Bellerophon's hair in its claws. <gasps> Bellerophon opened his eyes and sat up, heart racing. He struggled to catch his breath as he looked around, ready to fight off another attack from the strange, otherworldly owl. But he was alone. The owl had just been part of the dream. The first glimmers of sunlight were peeking in through the courtyard's carved columns. The brazier beneath the statue had burned out sometime in the night, and he noticed some wear in the marble of Athena's face. Perhaps this old goddess could do him no good. Then he realized he was holding something in his right hand. He unclenched his fist, and a delicate golden bridle fell from his grasp. So it hadn't been a dream. But how was this the answer? A soft chorus of whinnies came from behind Bellerophon. He turned to see a small group of wild horses gathered in the courtyard, taking turns drinking from the fountain. The horses parted to let a single large white stallion pass. The horse at the fountain bowed its head before this new horse and let him take her place at the fountain. Bellerophon rose to his feet and moved to the edge of the courtyard for a better view. He could now see that the white stallion bore two large feathery wings. It was the flying horse, Pegasus. As if it sensed his presence, Pegasus turned toward Bellerophon, fixing him with one bright blue eye. Bellerophon said, Pegasus, I need your help. Will you fight with me against the monster Chimera? The horses, startled by Bellerophon, whinnied with fear and retreated to the other side of the courtyard. Pegasus, however, cautiously strode toward the hero. He bowed his head before Bellerophon and allowed the hero to fasten Athena's golden bridle under his chin. The winged horse lowered his wings. It took Bellerophon a few seconds to realize that the untamable Pegasus was gesturing for him to get on his back. Bellerophon scrambled on before Pegasus could change his mind. With Bellerophon clutching the golden bridle, Pegasus unfurled his giant wings. He ran across the courtyard, straight toward the fountain, Bellerophon feared they would crash into it, but just as they were about to, the horse sprang into the air. Suddenly, Bellerophon was flying. He dug his fingers into Pegasus' long mane and whooped with joy. Pegasus climbed higher and higher, his wings beating the air as if swimming in still water. 
Far below them, the Temple of Athena disappeared from view. Back in Lycia, the Chimera sat on top of her mountain, surveying her beautiful, burning kingdom. By now, she had laid waste to most of Lycia, leaving scorched fields and burnt forests in her wake. Fire-blackened bones lined the roads, and ash fell like snow, blanketing the country in white. Everything was bright, warm, easy to see. And what she saw was something rising in the distance, beyond the clouds of smoke, just at the edge of the horizon. A small white smudge moved quickly toward the mountain. What was it? Some sort of enormous bird? She saw the wings first, then the four-hooved feet. It was no bird. It was a flying horse, a man dressed for battle rode on his back. As the man and the winged horse drew closer, she could see that he was knocking an arrow on his bow. It was a human hero, coming to chase her from her new home, Pegasus and Bellerophon. The Chimera roared with anger. This mortal man may have tricked Pegasus, but she wouldn't let him drive her from her burning mountain. He would die like the others, in flames. She burned his arrows out of the sky, and the few she missed bounced off her skin like raindrops. The Chimera crouched, tensing her muscles, waiting for this so-called hero to get close. Once he came into range, she could blast him out of the sky, and the damned flying horse, too. He abandoned his bow and drew a long spear. Then the Chimera sprang. She blasted the air with three columns of fire from each of her three mouths. Pegasus fainted to the right, drawing his wings in to avoid the blast but she managed to singe the hero's hair. He had come closer to her than any hero had before. The Pegasus and Bellerophon pulled back, but the Chimera kept all six of her eyes on them. Even if he threw the spear, the pair would be engulfed by the flame. The Chimera watched the hero regroup, she knew that eventually he would have to get close to her if he wanted to fight. All she needed was an opening and a well-timed blast of fire. She could taste victory with her three tongues. On the other side of the mountain battlefield, Pegasus dove toward the ground. He skimmed the earth just close enough for Bellerophon to reach out and touch the rocks there, the hero scooped up a large chunk of dull gray lead, and Pegasus pulled out of the dive. The Chimera watched, confused as to why her opponent was playing in the dirt. Working quickly, Bellerophon lashed the lead to the point of his spear with a length of the golden reins from the Pegasus bridle. He balanced the spear in his hand, then signaled to Pegasus. He was ready. 
As the chimera saw Bellerophon rushing toward her, she opened her lion's mouth wide. She roared loud enough to shake the mountain. As she screamed, Bellerophon threw his lead-covered spear between her jaws. The lion's roar turned into a sputtering, choking noise. She shook the spear free of her maw, but it was too late. The lead had melted from the intense heat of her fiery breath. It trickled down her throat, suffocating her. As her vision began to fade, the chimera stopped struggling. Perhaps she had always known this day would come. She was born cursed to a destiny of misery and pain. She was sentenced to death from the first day she had drawn breath. And now, death had come. Bellerophon returned to Iobates' fortress, sweaty and soot-blackened. In one hand, he held a bag containing the three heads of the chimera. In the other, he held Pegasus' reins. Though the quest to kill the chimera had been intended as a suicide mission, Bellerophon had triumphed. He had used his cunning to master the wild, fire-breathing beast. Though he had been born with a curse on his name, Bellerophon had proved that he was a hero. The story of Bellerophon and the Chimera has endured for thousands of years. It's a testament to the ancient Greek civilization that a story first passed down orally over 2,500 years ago is still told today. A fearsome, fire-breathing beast with the heads of a lion, goat, and snake, the Chimera was probably not a real creature, but it represented a real fear. The dangers of fire, volcanic or otherwise, were well known to the ancient Greeks. With flammable building materials, no modern plumbing systems, and water not always easily available, it was all too common for a family's entire life to burn to the ground. Maybe humans thousands of years ago saw the fires of Yanartosh and feared the destruction they could cause. The story of Bellerophon besting the Chimera reminded the ancient Greeks that fire can be controlled. Bellerophon used the Chimera's fire against it, melting lead in its throat and killing it. So too could humanity use fire as a tool to shape metal. However, the story of the Chimera also served as an important warning. While fire can be controlled, it must also be respected. If you're not careful, everything you love could go up in flames.
Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williams, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Molly Quinlan, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 